You're listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, Holland and Knight's overarching public policy and regulation podcast series. Our public policy and regulation group has an ideal combination of lawyers and lobbyists with a comprehensive understanding of the federal policy and regulatory process. This series will shine a light on the shifting dynamics of governmental entities and the ensuing changes in economic or political policies, laws, and regulations that can have a critical impact on the health and future of your business. Good morning. This is our first attempt at a transportation podcast. Bear with us. Uh, I got Lori Henninger, who is our expert on all things transportation, Senate. Uh, she'll introduce herself, and then Joel Roberson, who really focuses on transportation and technology. And I am Mike Friedberg, uh, do kind of a journalist that does uh, all things transportation as well. Uh, I'll start with introducing myself, Mike Friedberg. I came to Holland and Knight about seven years ago from the Hill. I was the staff director of the Railroad Pipelines and House Materials Subcommittee of Transportation Infrastructure. For that, I was on the Appropriations Committee for Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development, and I started my government at OMB, the Office of Management Budget. So with that, I handle a lot of transportation issues dealing with railroads, infrastructure, aviation, a lot in the tech space with Joel, do some transit as well. Um, so really, if you say transportation, they usually call me. Um, so with that, Lori, maybe introduce yourself next. Hi, um, I uh, represent a number of transportation agencies and local governments and airports at Holland and Knight. Prior to joining Holland and Knight, I worked in the Senate for 10 years, and I served as the staff director of the Senate Environment, Public Works, Highways, and Infrastructure Subcommittee. Joel? Hey, everybody. Uh, Joel Roberson. I am a partner here at Holland and Knight. I've been at the firm for 15 years, and my practice focuses on representing emerging technology companies that are disrupting the transportation sector. So um, drones, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, electric aircraft, technology of that nature. So with those introductions aside, why don't we go ahead and uh, dive in talking about transportation in 2023. So obviously there was a big midterm election. So we'll dig into what that means for the leadership on transportation issues going forward. So with the win by Senator Warnock in the Senate, uh, Democrats take an extra seat uh, more than what they had last year uh, or the current year, which means that there that has practical implications for how the committees are going to take up transportation issues because the balance on committees will shift and Democrats will have a majority in committees, which will allow them to have an ability in the Senate to move things with their own party's votes. Although a lot of transportation issues ultimately end up being bipartisan. So let's dig into that a little bit more. Mike and Lori, do you guys want to talk a little bit about you know, the Senate Commerce Committee? Obviously, they have jurisdiction over a lot of transportation issues. There's an FAA reauthorization coming up. We have Maria Cantwell, who was the chair, will continue to be the chair. But Ted Cruz, Mike, what do you think about the change that will happen? And when Ted Cruz takes over the ranking slot on the Commerce Committee? Well, you know, you're going from Roger Wicker, who was very, very bipartisan uh, outwardly and inwardly, and great staff. Uh, I do not think the staff will be changing. I mean, the people will change, but their perspectives are are going to say the same, where a lot of transportation is are, you know, I don't say bipartisan, I say postpartisan, really, right? There's no, you know, the, the classic line is there's no uh, Republican bridge or, or Democratic bridge. So, 
with FA Reoff, I do think the staff will work together. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, Senator Cruz is running for president, you know, what his posture is is working in a bipartisan manner. So that's the interesting part where you're really going to have to get in with members of the Commerce Committee to see where they land on, on the issues. Uh, Senator Cantwell is also, she is, I would say, you know, more, she's going to, there's going to be more fights uh, outwardly. Now, I don't know what that means inwardly, especially now that the Senate Commerce has, it, there's going to be a majority of Democrats on the committee. So it, there's not going to be as many fights over nominees because it's going to be party line votes. But what does that mean for legislation? Uh, Lori worked in the Senate, so you know probably her perspective would be better than mine. <laughs> so I think one good thing about the FAA reauthorization that the Senate and the House have started considering this year but are trying to get it done next year is that it's a bipartisan issue. Um, it's rather than focusing on, you know, Republican or Democratic talking points, members really is based on a regional perspective. So it's based on what the airports in your district or state um, care about. If you're in an urban or a rural area, that is really how members look at it versus a typical uh, Republican Democratic debate. And I, and, just adding on that, and I'm moving a little to the House, but you know, a lot of it is going to be bucking their party majority or party ethos of, hey, we can't work with the Democrats. You know, the adversarial nature that that the Congress has been in. You know, when I worked on the Hill, it was more T and I versus the majority leader uh, and the leadership of getting bills done uh, in the Conservative Caucus versus the Democrats. So I, I, with FAA Reoff, I've already heard that that's going to be a, a challenge, not the Democrats per se, uh, but more just how are we going to get it to the floor? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Lori. And just to round out the Senate leadership on transportation issues, the Senate EPW committee is going to stay relatively constant from a leadership perspective, uh, but Senate banking is going to have some changes. Lori, do you want to just break down how the EPW and banking committee will shake out next year? Sure. So, George, you just said the Senate EPW leadership will stay the same. Senator Tom Carper of Delaware will remain the chairman, and Senator Capito of West Virginia will remain the ranking member. They work really well together. Um, they got their legislation done, this Congress, the Transportation Authorization Bill. So they should be focusing more on oversight this upcoming Congress. Senate Banking, um, Senator Toomey of Pennsylvania retired. Um, so there is several members vying for that, but most likely Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina will become the ranking member and Senator Sherrod Brown um, from Ohio will stay the chairman. And why it's important for lobbyists like us is with the change in leadership, the change in staff as well. So educating folks on the banking committee, it's kind of weird that transit is in the banking uh, space, but it is. So, you know, I already know that the former Toomey staff is leaving, trying to figure out who the new new staff and educating them is, is going to be important for months of January and February. Yeah, that's great. And and the other key transportation committee is, of course, the appropriations uh, side of the equation uh, in the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development Subcommittee, where there's going to be changes on both the House and Senate side. Uh, so maybe we'll use that as a start with the Senate and, and then bridge over to the House changes. But uh, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about appropriations committee leadership on THUD? Yeah, so it's my my understanding that Senator Schatz from Hawaii is staying as THUD chair. The, the interesting is Senator Collins has been there for, I don't know, 12 years as the THUD chairman. And she is now going to be the ranking member of the full committee. So I think she is going to move off, off of THUD. And if it's historically what happens is that 
Collins will become chair of defense uh, subcommittee. So there will be new leadership. We're hearing it's Bozeman, Boozman from Arkansas, very, very good senator, very good personal staff. But will the staff change with him? Historically, it will. Um, so we're all still kind of waiting to see. You know, the hard part of where we are now is people are interviewing for jobs. People are trying to pass last minute legislation. So it's still a lot up in the air. On the House side, the Congresswoman Granger will be full committee chair. Congressman Diaz Bilark from Florida, he has been there for the last eight years. He got a waiver last Congress to be ranked member, what does that mean if he does not get another waiver? He is seeking another waiver. If he doesn't, um, and it really is up to the conference, Republican conference, you're going to see a lot of dominoes, you know, because he might go to foreign ops. Tom Cole is in the next in line, but he has labor H. So it's going to be really interesting to see who gets Thud or, or T-HUD next Congress to be the chair. It's usually a very moderate Republican because they really work across the aisle. I will say Mario Diaz-Balart and Chairman Price, uh, David Price, who is retiring, work really well together. Uh, the staff like each other. They try to do things as bipartisan. If they aren't bipartisan, they really respect why people are doing the ways that they're doing it. Uh, Mike Quigley from Illinois kind of follows that mold. You know, big hockey player, kind of Midwest, uh, likes to compromise, likes to get things done. So I, I see that spirit holding over, but you never know. It depends on who, who we get on the Republican side. So then on the authorizing side on the House, um, we're going to have a, a, a big change on the uh, T&I Democratic leadership uh, with Pete DeFazio uh, retiring. Um, there is a competitive race there between Rick Larson and Eleanor Holmes Norton to take over the Transportation and Infrastructure uh, Committee. Right now, the expectation is that Rick Larson uh, will, will win that uh, race um, and that decision will be made the week of December 12th. So we should know soon who is who will take over the ranking Democratic slot. Uh, Sam Graves will remain the top Republican, but will move from ranking member to, to chair. Um, and that will be a critical relationship between the two of them as they uh, embark on an FA reauthorization, which we've talked about a little bit uh, earlier, and we'll dig into a little bit deeper in a minute. As it relates to Roadway safety, there is the Energy and Commerce Committee has jurisdiction over uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and things like autonomous vehicles. The leadership on that committee is expected to stay the same with Frank Pallone, Democrat from New Jersey, and Kathy McMorris-Rogers, Republican from Washington, uh, maintaining the lead they have while their politics are very different, have been able to work together on, on legislation. So the continuity there uh, should be helpful for legislative efforts in 2023. So now that we have an idea or at least a good sense of who's going to be sitting in which chairs um, as we head into 2023, um, let's dig into what the, the leadership in each of those uh, positions is going to use that position to to enact, uh, the type of legislation they're going to enact. So, you know, House Republicans obviously are, are taking a lead, but a very slim uh, majority in the House and are laying out their legislative agenda. Lori, do you want to talk a little bit about what we expect um, Republicans to focus on as they uh, take over the gavel? Yes, thanks, Joel. And then Mike, um, please add on, since she used to work on the committee a few years ago. Um, they have said that they are going to focus on oversight and investigations. For TNI, I believe they're going to um, investigate how local governments, transportation agencies, and states are utilizing their bipartisan infrastructure bill. They are otherwise known as the um, Investment Infrastructure and Job IJ funding. And they're also going to look at, too, how they've been utilizing their COVID money, too. 
Mike, I know you've been talking to the community staff frequently. What else have you been hearing? So implement, you're right. Implementation of IIJ is going to be kind of top of mind. First, you know, it's going to be interesting, TNI. There's going to be a lot of new members. So the first couple is like educating folks on what infrastructure is. A lot of people don't know what goes into all this money. And to do the oversight, we're going to have to educate some members. Um, second, inflation, inflation, inflation. That is a hot button political issue. TNI thinks that they do have jurisdiction over that, especially in the projects costs and how that's implemented. So those two things are going to be big. Like they're going to be overseeing Amtrak. Uh, transit entities and how DOT is spending the money. So a lot of a lot of the folks voted for the IIGA and like it in spirit, but do not agree with that how DOT is actually spending the money. So you're going to see a lot of oversight, and it's going to be a weird posture where D DOT and the entities are going to be a little defensive. So the interactions are going to be very interesting between the members. Sam Graves is a really moderate guy uh, in transportation and in, in other issues. He's conservative, but he really wants to get stuff done. He works well with the Democrats. Uh, DeFazio, who is retired, uh, spoke well of him. So in the mold of, of the former TNI chairs, I think they're going to try to get stuff done, but it's going to be really hard to get legislation done. So they're going to really focus on oversight and investigations. You're right. They're going to have to do some red meat stuff for the conference and companies especially that are, are getting money from these entities, should really educate the folks uh, up there on why this is important, how many jobs are, are getting created because of this infrastructure and how it's changing the economy, in the, especially rural districts. And also, this is I would just add in that be really careful about how you're executing on the funding that you've received from the IIJA or the IRA, because you don't want to be the recipient of a letter asking you to come up and defend decisions that you made um, if you're going out on a limb about how that money can uh, or should be spent. So there's going to be oversight and investigation, but um, there also is going to be a number of bipartisan bills, as we've alluded to in the past. Let's dig in a little bit deeper there. So uh, FAA reauthorization is uh, due. The current authority for the FAA expires on September 30th of 2023. Congress intends to get a fast start on trying to get that legislation done before its current authority expires. In the past, there's been a track record of, of requiring extensions. So in order to avoid an extension, um, they will have to uh, make sure to work deliberately with some, some hearings quickly in the new year and then legislative drafting markup. The main topics, there's lots of topics that, that come up every cycle, but maybe we can unpack a little bit. I'll start with those items in, in my area of expertise. There's likely to be a title um, or two in the bill about emerging aviation technologies. So things like advanced air mobility, um, electric and hydrogen propulsion aircraft. There's also unmanned or uncrewed aircraft that continue to be integrated into the national airspace system. And there's lots of interest by the drone industry to come up with changes to FAA's authority that would allow for uh, aircraft certification and operations in the United States to be more flexible and keep up with the international uh, trends towards being uh, more allowing more flexible uh, operations. So there's inevitably going to be uh, language on those topics. There also was 
federal authorities at the Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security to track and mitigate drones that may be causing a risk, uh, counter UAS uh, authorities that were extended um, this year that will have to be addressed in a full reauthorization. That's expected to ride with the FAA reauthorization uh, as well. Yeah. But, Lori and Mike, uh, you want to break down some other topics that we well, expect to see in that you know, I, 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 I do want to unpack the drones. It's not just the... Uh, technology of the drones. A lot of infrastructure providers like utilities, railroads, pipelines, they use drones or they want to use drones more. So you're going to see authorities on, you know, the technology for the drone providers and the counter pros. But you also, you know, a lot of the traditional uh, infrastructure folks that are always on TNI, the, the historical players, they really care about those issues too. So we're hearing a lot of, all right, what do we need to get into the FAA bill so we could fly a drone, so we could do this. That involves labor issues. That involves a lot of state and local issues. So it's uh, all encompassing. If you think about it, it's not just, hey, how do we get more, you know, how do we get more in line with the international successes? So it's going to be super interesting of how the players align. As we saw from last one, historical partnerships or historical uh, agreements did not really, it was, it was kind of new coalitions that were made. So other than that, we're, we're going to see pipelines. <laughs> Nobody really ever thinks pipeline uh, reauthorization until there's an accident. It is uh, expiring last, in 2018, it was bipartisan, pretty good bill. Uh, the last two bills have kind of moved the needle. And so this is just going to be uh, another one of that bill. A lot of uh, fuel providers, yeah, oil and gas, they care. It's, it's the midstream. Uh, it's the transportation. Why it's weird this year is the Democratic Party has used the pipeline safety as an environmental. They're trying to put the environment in the pipeline safety bill, where that has historically just been a safety bill, uh, not uh, use, using the environment for an EPA bill or something like that. So going to be interesting what Biden administration proposes in, in that space. That's all I see really coming down the pike and a water bill maybe. And that's it. Yeah. I can't believe we went this far into the conversation without getting the pipeline. So thank you for highlighting yeah. uh, that. You know, hey, you know, everybody forgets about them. Yeah, the only thing I was also going to um, add that airports continue to want to increase um, the PFC charge airlines remain opposed to that. There will still be a discussion on that and also getting more funding into the contract tower program. The other, um, I think, discussions points for this bill. Thanks, Lori. And uh, when we think about appropriations, just to round out the congressional priorities and before we turn to the administration and what uh, the administration is expected to focus on, uh, the appropriations process, of course, is an annual process that will require bipartisan support. Uh, even though Democrats have taken a 51-49 uh, majority in the Senate, uh, any appropriations legislation would require them to get the 60 votes to move it. So that legislation, um, the parties will have to figure out with the new Republican leadership in, in the House how to negotiate a final appropriations bill. And that will impact some of the topics that we've talked about in terms of how much funding would go towards some of these authorization bills, uh, including some of the authorizations like the IIJA and the IRA, uh, which have already been authorized and and portions of it have already been appropriated, but the ongoing um, uh, implementation will require additional appropriations, which Republicans will likely have some significant questions about how much they want to invest there. Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about how the appropriations process might impact grant programs going forward? It's going to be very interesting. You know, a little palace intrigue. They're trying to get the appropriations done 
um, you know, there'll be an extension till the 23rd. You got to realize that the committees on the, especially the House side, they, they shrink uh, for the Democrats. So all those people are looking for jobs and negotiating. It's, it's super, super hard to do. The Republicans are looking for people to work for next year. So if there's not an appropriations bill this year that it goes next year, they're going to be doing two bills, looking for people. It's a it's a mess. How I know this is I, I did this. Uh, in 2011, we did the exact same thing where we, we had a bill done for the current year in February, then we went to the next bill. So what I would do is get in early and get in often as much as possible to educate these folks. A lot of the staff, a lot of these staff uh, especially in the transportation world, will not know appropriations. So you got to really get in and educate them and get your priorities uh, stated. So I, I do think it'll it'll happen. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see if everybody can get top line numbers, where the president comes down uh, with inflationary costs. The weird part of transportation uh, for appropriations, it's stuck with housing. Housing has huge inflationary costs. And public housing is billions and billions of dollars. So that sometimes eats into the FAA, FRA, and the other transit and the highways uh, portions of the FUD bill. So you really, really got to fight to get your priorities uh, in there. Thanks, Mike. So uh, turning to the administration, um, we're heading into the, the second part of the first term of President Biden's presidency. And as is usual, uh, we would expect to start to see some some turnover in some of the top political po uh, positions in each of the agencies, uh, including those that have jurisdiction over uh, transportation. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts um, agencies like DOT, whether Secretary Buttigieg stays in that position, whether he starts making moves to run for president in 2024, um, will certainly impact uh, the leadership and, and policymaking um, that comes out of that agency. And when we think about some of the, when Congress is divided and it may be more difficult for uh, the president to achieve his agenda through Congress after having had Democratic majorities and the, the ability to pursue budget reconciliation bills over the last two years. If he believes that he won't be able to get his agenda through Congress, then we will likely see an uptick in the regulatory work of the administration. So this will impact things like environmental permitting uh, for, for projects. They, there is a uh, corporate average fuel economy cafe standards, which is underway for vehicles, which uh, for passenger vehicles, model years 2027 and beyond. Um, which the Biden administration will likely try to cement before the end of the first term. Um, so we'll see some activity there. And there's a, a whole host of other rulemakings that we expect. But Lori, do you want to break down a little bit about other efforts like uh, continued IIJA, uh, uptake on IRA implementation and how that would impact transportation sector? Sure, yes. Um, so I'll start off the bipartisan infrastructure bill, IJA. Um, DOT did a great job in standing up the programs that were created in this bill very quickly. The great thing about this bill, it is it has mandatory funding for all of its programs. So DOT will begin to continue to issue notice of funding opportunities, NOFOs, early next year for the programs that were created in the bill. Um, they have said that they now that they have stood up the programs, they're going to get out the NOFOs as quickly as they can in January and February. They've already issued two NOFOs for the, for the second round of funding, the airport terminal modernization and raise over the past couple months. The Inflation Reduction Act, which Congress passed um, in August, 
creates a billions and billions of dollars of new programs. DOE and EPA have started issuing RFIs to get ideas and recommendations on how um, these programs should be implemented. DOT should be doing it as well. Great. Thanks, Lori. So uh, to wrap up, we expect 2023 to be an extremely busy year for uh, the transportation sector across all modes of transportation uh, with a couple of key reauthorizations and, and new leadership, which will reinvigorate um, the work that each of the committees are, are doing in this space. And we expect the Biden administration to continue to lean in following the bipartisan infrastructure uh, law and continue to focus on uh, improving infrastructure across the country. We thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to both working with Congress on a bipartisan basis and with uh, many of you in the transportation sector to help achieve priorities um, that, that you have before Congress and the administration. Thank you for, for joining us, and thank you, Mike and Lori, for, uh, for the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.